Hey, this is Coco Columbia. You're listening to Sounds of PDX. This is Travis from the audio sequence. I'm Vince. I'm Boyd. This is Josh from Adverse Effects. I'm Jason Amare. This is Mike Collins from Mets Ryan and Collins. Hey, this is Logan Lynn. And Gino Amare. You're listening to Sounds of PDX. Sounds of PDX. Sounds of PDX on PRP. You're listening to Portland Radio Project. It's Thursday evening. That means you're listening to Sounds of PDX. We're into week number two of the Mogo Music Festival promotion, and I am here with my co-host, Jen Emerson. Thanks for joining me again, Jen. Thank you for having me, Luke, as always. We are, like I said, covering Mogo 2017, which has 65 local acts, 12 venues, and my special guest from 7 to 8 today is Louis Longmire. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, you came in with your beautiful D18 Martin. We're going to hear you play later. We've got some live tracks, but um, I was really interested. I went back in your catalog and dug into some of your bios, so... You've got quite a story, my friend. Uh, I'm excited to pick your brain. Uh, but we're going to get things started here on the PDX Spotlight playlist with uh, What You Gonna Do by Louis Longmire here on Sounds of PDX. Nothing ever go the way you're going to do about that is Louis Longmire off of his 2008 Fire Neath the Still release. He's our special guest tonight, and he's playing Friday, March 3rd at the Ponderosa Lounge. That's the Westacana Presents bill put together by uh, Josh Malmtree, our friend. Uh, Louis, you're also playing with 
Blue City Diesel and uh, McDougal. Yes. Quite the lineup. I love that room, too. I haven't played there in a long time. I played some uh, traditional country music there probably ooh, 15 years ago or something like that. But uh, I like the space. like it a lot. Really open, wide open. Um, I think there's a lot more cross-pollination going on nowadays yeah. between different scenes, which I think is really cool. We went in there as a bunch of long hairs 15 <laughs> years ago, and uh, the truckers, it was basically just truckers and very straight sort of Nashville country people, and they looked at us kind of funny. <laughs> no trouble was had. There, sure. were, no, there were no incidents. <laughs> well, let's uh, take the clock back a little bit. For the listeners that don't know who you are or familiar with your catalog why don't you tell us about some of your earlier influences so we can get a vibe of where you're coming from as a writer oh i i'm lucky enough that i in my life in my adult life i've been able to work i spent two non-consecutive periods working for record stores for like a culmination of probably 18 years total Hmm. if you put them all together so um I've been able to be influenced by a lot. I've had access to a lot of music sort of in the pre-internet days. I had access to more than most people did. Um, But certainly as a child, um, I was born in rural New Mexico and uh, grew up out there in the 70s. um, And there was not that much media to be had. You know, uh, we had three or four television channels and... Uh, radio was severely limited. There were certainly more like uh, 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 radio stations playing rancheros in traditional Mexican music than there were playing rock and roll. Hmm. Um, so um, things were fairly limited. But somewhere in my uh, somewhere along the line, I got um, got turned on to the Beatles. Of course, and I think all kids sort of understand the Beatles inherently. I don't know what it is about that, but I was really. Uh, Really, really into them, fascinated and obsessed with them as a child, uh, probably from maybe age six or seven on. And um, a friend of my mother's had a bunch of uh, Beatles albums and and some other strange 60s records and stuff like that. So I was really influenced by a lot of um, 60s rock and roll, 60s folk music. Nice. And, uh, And somehow had the somehow ended up becoming sort of a young proto-hippie before I even had any influence of actually seeing any real hippies or anything like that. (laughs) And then I was in the ninth grade. One of my science teachers recognized that in me and loaned me this, you know, eight-inch stack of records with, like, Tommy by The Who and some Frank Zappa records and the James Gang uh, with Joe Walsh and and things like that. So it really... My aesthetic is probably really retro in in many ways because I'm certainly heavily influenced and uh, from a young age by 60s rock and roll mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing. Although, uh, you know, um, and, and actually it probably even my modern influences are people who were influenced by that vibe as well. Like sure. Bonnie Prince, Billy and uh, folks like that, Black Mountain and – the whole gamut of sort of uh, – I'm really interested in the whole, in the whole spectrum of, of – I don't know if you'd call it pop music or whatever, of, of, but of Western music. Like I listen to a lot of old blues. I listen to a lot of classic jazz. And then, you know, as far as stuff that, you know, I'm I'm primarily a guitarist myself, but I'll listen to everything from like acoustic songwriters like Towns Van Zandt, but I'm just as equally interested in Fu Manchu or Red Fang or Earthless, you know, and like sludge, desert stoner rock. So how does that kind of translate and inform your approach to songwriting? Good God, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea. Um... I'm intrigued. I think uh, most of the time, most of the songwriting I've done, it's been an interesting sort of uh, growth as a songwriter because I was a backing musician for being a lead guitar player or bass player or something for other musicians for a long time before I ever thought to even write songs myself. I didn't come to it from a point of view where I felt like I had a lot to say or anything like that. I was just into playing music and the sound and the feel of it. 
And then at some point I realized that I sort of wanted to lead my own projects and things like that and that I needed songs to sing. So in some ways I just sort of started writing songs to have songs to sing. And so I probably modeled them after, you know, Bob Dylan or or, or acoustic folk songwriters because I would be writing them on an acoustic guitar at home and that sure. seemed to be the most natural thing. And then a bunch of those sort of ended up feeling like they didn't have much substance to them, which sort of would make sense as I was writing them from uh, uh, backwards in the sense of that I was writing to have a finished product as opposed to writing something because there was something deep in my heart that I felt I needed to express and, mm. and stuff like that. So just over the years, I've been honing away at that, trying to figure out maybe, maybe in fact, the problem is that I was too influenced by too many different things and, and didn't end up, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like totally. that, that if you, if you're really limited in what you're able to do, then what comes out of you is really a natural expression of, of some pure essence of you. Sure. And I had already spent years playing different kinds of music with other people. So I could emulate a bunch of different styles. And I think maybe at the, in the earliest times of me trying to write songs that I probably uh, uh, was putting on lots of different hats to try and find something that would maybe... Uh, have the result that I thought I was looking for. And now it's taken, I've really only been writing songs for maybe 15 years, a little more than 15 years. One of those earliest songs was If I Live to Be a Hundred yeah. that appeared on a record that ended up being the title track of the 2004 release, If I Live to Be 100. Yes, exactly. That's very much, very much one of those early tunes that was sort of written to have a song to sing. Uh, it's sort of like, it's almost like a that one's truly like in the folk process uh, along the lines of like what Woody Guthrie or Dylan did in the early days. Yeah. And that I had heard this arrangement of um, I can't remember what the name of the song was, but it was it, it's an old traditional folk tune that my buddy David Lipkin, the harmonica player, had played for me. And I sort of tried to learn it, but in learning it, it changed enough that then I sort of wrote different lyrics to it and switched, then, then switched a few parts around on purpose and made it its own song. But it definitely was sort of like a folk uh, ripoff. It's a folk <laughs> ripoff song. I like it a lot. It's, it's exactly, it's a storyteller's folk song is, yeah. is how uh, it hit me, first impression. So this is a title track off of Louis Longmire's 2004 release, If I Live to Be 100. Stick around. We will be with him until 8 p.m. here on Portland Radio Project. It's cool. Oh, Katie, oh, Katie, I love you so well. If I live to be a hundred, I love you still.
least in my mind by louis longmire he's our special guest here on sounds of pdx tonight i am with my co-host jen emerson louis we were speaking a little bit on the break about new mexico and arizona and shared locations that you and luke know and i know i personally have been told multiple times that i need to go to albuquerque but you came <laughs> here from albuquerque I, I did i escaped albuquerque <laughs> there's room for you there because i left <laughs> there's, there's an extra space i think so how did your uh, decision to come here come to be? Well, um, it's interesting, I hope, because uh, <laughs> I had always considered myself to be very proud to be a New Mexican. Like when I was living there, I couldn't have imagined ever leaving for the longest time that I was there. I was really proud of it. New Mexico is kind of backwards in its own certain sort of ways, and I loved that. I, it was like... There were not as many chain stores around. There was very little money to be made by the rest of corporate America, so we got left alone. You know, I was <laughs> in a tiny town that uh, I think Pizza Hut and Sonic were the only two things we had, and then they moved into McDonald's like the year I graduated high school or something. We didn't have a Walmart, you know, <laughs> things like that. I was impressed by all this. But um, I had gone to college in Albuquerque, 
in the early 90s and started a, a band there with some friends. Uh, we had this sort of frenetic acoustic hippie jam punk band called uh, Apricot Jam. <laughs> and we, we toured, we spent uh, the mid-90s touring all around the western states. We basically constantly did this circuit. It would go sort of straight up through the ski towns of Colorado, up into Montana, across to Seattle, and then down the coast all the way to San Diego and then back across. Um, played Flagstaff a lot. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, as we were doing that touring circuit, we, uh, we did some festivals on the West Coast. We used to play the High Sierra Music Festival and things like that. And um, we met the band Colobo. With from, Michelle from Van Cleef. Portland, with Michelle Van Cleef yeah. and uh, Jenny Conley Drizos and Nate Query from the Decemberists and and every Caleb Clauder, uh, great bunch of people all, yeah. and um, then we started doing shows with them up and down the West Coast, and eventually uh, they hosted us here in Portland. Uh, I remember one of the times we played with them, uh, we played like the Roseland. Or whatever, because they were doing really well in Portland at the time. They'd sell out the Roseland 1,200 tickets on a regular sort of Friday evening or something like that. Um, and and they were just so warm and open and 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 typified the sort of person, the music, the musical timbre that was going on in in Portland of where there wasn't. It didn't seem competitive. Everyone was welcoming, and we were slugging it out on the road either playing like ski towns where we had to play four hours for $300 or we'd get like a good opening slot. We'd open up for Derek trucks somewhere, hmm. but, but you'd get like $50 or whatever. Sure. And then we come to the Roseland playing with Colobo and they would give us like $500 to play an hour and 15 minutes and their fans would love us. And we'd sell 40 CDs at the, at the booth and stuff like that. And that combined with then just other shows that we played, the um, I remember Belmont Inn was someplace that used to be great to play music in the mid-90s and stuff like that. The, uh, coming and visiting Portland and having those sort of experiences, we just uh, – it just – plus everything else that was fantastic about Portland being like it was beautifully lush and green and politically very progressive and, and – uh, liberals and we were young hippies and it was like portland was built by the hippies in some <laughs> semblance you know what i mean so um we just once things started once clubs and things started closing in albuquerque albuquerque just sort of had this brief sort of golden era in the 90s or so it felt to me and my friends where like there were enough venues and there was enough stuff going on and that all started coming to an end and we were just looked at each other and we're like, you know, if we stay here, we're going to break up and there's going to be nothing for us to do. Mm. So, uh, New Mexico state, right? The Lobos, uh, the university of New Mexico. Okay, yeah, the Lobos, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's cool. That there was a, and I'm stated the scene. Aggies, I think. Yeah. Um, but, uh, was, there was, there was a brief time where there was sort of like a music scene and there's still some great musicians who are there and able to do music out of there. Uh, my friends are in this, uh, are the handsome family out of there. Um, there was a guy named Nils Klein, Hazel Dine. There've been various bands that do good music out of there, but the, the concept of like actually trying to like play shows is kind of ridiculous. Like, you know, yeah. I grew up out there in the musical scene not to disparage anything, but I grew up out there in the musical scene with the guys who all went on to become the Shins. And they were just in various bands that would play as often as they could and write great stuff, and they'd get 30 people, <laughs> you know, to the show. And that's just the way it was. Like, for whatever reason, Albuquerque didn't really ever come to a point where uh, uh, where the interest was really what you would think it would be considering the population. Mm -hmm. It just somehow culturally is uh, too diverse in other ways for, for something like a rock and roll scene to be supported. Plus, there's just like uh, the way they view, um, you know, music is unfortunately tied heavily to the alcohol industry mm -hmm. in this country. And, uh, and in New Mexico, the alcohol industry is incredibly vilified you know there there are roadblocks everywhere 
they're stopping everyone whether you know what i mean like their 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 fears of drunk driving the way they they legislated differently than say portland like portland um this is totally off topic of music or anything. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I think about life. Yeah. Um, that in Portland, there's bars on every corner, so you don't have to drive if you're going to go out and have, have drinks. But the way they legislated in New Mexico is like, oh, drinking and driving is bad, so we get rid of all the bars. And they make them even further apart, and they make it really hard to get a liquor license and stuff because they view it as a moral issue in a way that it ends up. You know, you can't really legislate morality. The people that are going to want to do that are going to go and do that yeah. regardless and of the law. So, in yeah. states where they have, like, dry counties or dry cities, the incidences of deaths and things due to binge drinking just soar in comparison to when they make it to where you can access it. Right. If you can so actually get a glass saying. of wine with dinner, you know, the, maybe you're not going to go home and drink a whole bottle of whiskey yeah. by yourself. <laughs> binge drink you know, on the way exactly. home. Then decide you need a cheeseburger. Anyway, uh. so that's how I got from Portland. That's how I got to Portland from Albuquerque. The the, the roadblocks sent me away. <laughs> that's a good lesson, though. And I love what you said about the uh, collaborative spirit of Portland. I want to talk to you more about that because that's really what MoGo was centered around the first year. And, and the spirit we've... Uh, try to imbue um, with the festival having all local bands uh, but next up on the playlist is a track called keep a picture off of louis latest release tales um, of the left coast roasters I, I gotta know what are the left coast roasters that's just the name of the band cool. i was getting ready to change the name of the band from the louis longmire band to uh to the left coast roasters and so i just used that album as sort of a transitional one to introduce that name cool i don't know why that name came up or whatever i think naming bands is terrible <laughs> it's very difficult work it's and the worst it is the worst so <laughs> it's almost as tough as getting your first album done as deciding on a band name <laughs> so here it is we've got louis longmire on sounds of pdx stick around till eight p.m. with him.
One of the best song titles I've ever heard. That's Voluntary Martyr by Louis Longmire. He's our special guest in a very special time in the show. We've got a couple live tunes from you. Um, now, I didn't even ask you, what's what's the name of the tracks you're going to be sharing um, with us? 
This one uh, is called Vanport 1948. It's uh, uh, a North Portland folk song, huh. a true story. It came to me as I was on the area where Vanport was. It's an interesting, terrible story of a terrible flood that displaced a lot of people. And um, there's a lot of uh, awareness being raised about what happened in the Vanport flood these days. A lot of uh, sort of memory gathering of the people who experienced it before they pass away, because 1948 was a long time ago now. Um, long story short, it was basically this uh, sort of public housing project between uh, North Portland and Vancouver, out where the Portland International Speedway is, International Raceway now is. And, um, is that part of the red line? It was part did? of the redlining district. Yeah. It was the only place, one of the few places where black people were allowed to live in Portland. And it was this housing development. Um, and uh, on Memorial Day of 1948, uh, the rains caused a breach in the, in the levee. Uh, in the flood wall that was holding because the whole area was kind of below the level of Columbia. It's pretty low-lying land. And uh, as with as with uh, Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, they had told everybody to stick around, like, don't leave. There's no need to panic. Everything is fine or whatever. It was a Sunday. People were at church and everybody uh, was like, no, everything is fine. Then it turns out that the wall totally burst and wow. flooded the area and they're not sure how many people actually died or not. And then it basically once it displaced something like 40,000 people from that area, predominantly uh, uh, lower-income African-American people, they were not allowed to just move anywhere into Portland. They had to be assimilated into like the Albina neighborhood, which is now Mississippi and stuff like that. Terrible, terrible practice. Yeah, dark whatever. part of Portland history. Dark. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. I was out there walking the dog because there's a dog park up there in that area, and uh, this song came to me and would not leave me alone. So I love it. Here it is. Came up from the Southlands with the weight of being poor. Got a job at the Kaiser shipyards building weapons for the war. We moved to Vanport City to a brand new company home. Wasn't much, but it was a place to call our own. It's the place that we call home. On Sunday decoration day, the river broke the wall. Waves of water rushing in, we had no time at all. Beneath the wailing of the sirens, we made for higher ground and prayed for friends and neighbors that did not make it out. Some never made it out. I searched for my belongings beneath layers of silt and mud. We've been washed away by the Vanport Flood Yeah, the dirty Vanport Flood They sent men from the government to investigate But the commissioner is in the pocket and the agents are on the take What care they for a black man whose family lost their home when the wolves of the water is at your door, you'll make your stand alone. Hey, boy, you're on your own. down in Portland there's laws to keep us hid where can I take my family how will I raise my kids I work my fingers to the bone keeping Uncle Sam alive 
But it left us all just refugees fighting to survive. We're still fighting to survive. I search for my belonging beneath layers of silt and mud. We've been washed away by the Vanport flood. Yeah, the dirty Vanport. We've been washed away by the Vanport flood. Yeah, the dirty Vanport flood. Well done, my friend. Thank you. That was Thank fantastic. You. My favorite type of folk music is protest folk. Oh, I'm protesting. Dude, that's right up my alley. What are you protesting? Uh, what do you got? <laughs> What's on the docket today? Uh, that's a beautiful song, man. Thank you. But, what is the uh, next gift you have for us? Uh, this is wrapped up in a, in a nice little bow. This is, uh, this is a song called uh, Lucky Guy, and it is... Uh, autobiographical in three movements and is about looking for the best parts of the worst times, I guess. Hmm. So, and it goes like this. I once lived with a lady just as pretty as could be She was sweeter than honey, but just not to me So things turned bad, then things got worse Till the days became empty as a beggar's purse Out. Well, she said goodbye What can I say? I'm a lucky guy Well, I swerved round the curve and crossed over the line I was empty inside and out of my mind I'd been running so long, but it ended at last In a ditch, my arm broken and covered in glass To look at the car, you'd have swore someone died What can I say? I'm a lucky guy I was taking my brain for a little ride Screaming down a bad road with the dead end in sight But the police were watching and not far behind Well, they let me out early for doing good time Can I say I'm a lucky guy? What can I say? Louis Longmire live on Portland Radio Project. Another great song. Great performance, man. Thank you. Your guitar work is fantastic. I love the the way you mute with your right palm oh, yeah. for dynamics. It's just I love players that do what you do. Trying to 
Trying to make it sound as much like there's much variety going on as one guy with a guitar and a mouth organ can do. <laughs> well, it was gorgeous. Uh, we are going to let you get reset here as we move along to the playlist. We've got another one from Louie. This is Mudslide Blues. Stick around. We've got him until 8 p.m. Slide Blues on Portland Radio Project. That's from my special guest, Louis Longmire. He's playing the Mogo Music Festival 2017. Friday, March 3rd, he'll be at Ponderosa Lounge uh, for the Westacana Presents event with Blue City Diesel and uh, McDougal. Um, that last song there, a little bit of... Uh 
like Texas slide in that. Rock and roll. I dig it a it's lot. It's all rock and roll. <laughs> well, we've Basic been... blues boogie. Yeah. Are you a, uh, a a blues man like Delta Blues? You like any of that stuff back in the I day? love the Delta Blues. Uh, I love all kinds of, of blues, actually. Um, I listen to a lot of um, Old Muddy Waters, uh, John Lee Hooker, Lightning Hopkins, particularly. I love, I love that sort of stuff, the yeah. older... Uh, original blues artists. Howlin' Wolf. Howlin' Wolf, definitely. Johnny Winter. Totally. I was able to see Johnny before he passed away, but it, the reason I bring these artists up and that type of music is I, I, you said rock and roll. I think if you go back in, in U.S. lineage, rock and roll is all from the blues and early jazz days. I mean, those Delta Blues guys inspired all the rock that oh, for sure. we consider I mean, classic rock. It was kind of, it's kind of a shame because those guys couldn't get jobs and couldn't hardly make any money in the early 60s and stuff until the Rolling Stones started doing their songs. They started covering them. <laughs> exactly. But even, even if you look at, like, Black Sabbath is basically a blues band. Totally. Like, the, the sort of basic uh, structures they use a lot of times and, the, and the, the scales and things like that. ACDC is totally a blues band. When Angus Young rips into a solo, it's totally like blues blues guitar yeah, it's a pentatonic scale it's just it's not... totally electric and loud and yeah. in a schoolboy uniform but st <laughs> zeppelin exactly you know, very, exactly they're so, blues bands that's really cool so it all it all comes from that and i definitely have have spent a lot of time looking backwards at the origins of a lot of stuff that i've liked so the uh, again the the lineage of music that it and some people also argue, like, oh, the Beatles are responsible for everything. I was like, ah, man, you can't say that because they were inspired by this Delta oh, Blues. totally true. It's not only Delta Blues, but uh, the Beatles were really into, like, girl groups. Really? Oh, yeah. There's a couple of things that they – there's a couple of things they even covered. I think uh, I think the song Baby It's You was like – and the, you know, John Lennon sang Please Mr. Postman. Mm. You know what I mean? They loved like the Shirelles and stuff like that and Phil Spector style stuff. That big doo-wop sound. Exactly. Yeah, that's cool. There are a lot of young kids out there getting involved in music at younger and younger ages, at, at least in Portland, that I'm aware of. And they really would benefit from some advice from someone who's been there. If they're wanting to get in the music business, what would you recommend? What's the path you recommend? Oh, my God. To get into the music business? <sighs> <laughs> I, am I in the music business? <laughs> I try to ignore the business part of that sentence as much as possible. Uh, my advice to younger people wanting to do music is, uh, first and foremost, serve the music. First and foremost, find out what your relationship with why you want to do it is and nurture that. Like if you, if you really like making music, make sure that you're making music that you want to be making for you first and foremost, because if you're looking for some sort of external reason for why, uh, you know, some external validation that you want to be famous or that you want to make sure these certain things happen, those are all beyond your control. If you're making music that you love and making music that you're proud of and feeling like you're growing as an artist and with your connection into music, then um, I feel like it's easier to make good things happen. And if, if, if your goals are not achieved, you still will not have lost anything. Mm. You know what I mean? Like there's, if you aim for this certain sort of career path and you make the best music you can and you really love your own music and you're, and you, you love doing it and, and, and the actual creative process, then if the specifics of your career path do not come out in the way that you are hoping or expecting, there won't be any disappointment because you will have still served the, the muses yeah. as best as possible. Beyond that, um, I don't really know because I don't come into contact with that many young people. I can't imagine that it's easy to do because, as I had mentioned before, like the concept of making music in America is is unfortunately extremely tied to the liquor industry at this point. Um, and most of the chances to perform are in bars and stuff like that. Um, but I definitely would say uh, there's the, the programs of – of youth music, like the School of Rock things going on, things like that. Those people are amazing. Yeah. Like I, I was a, sort of a creative consultant on a show 
couple of years ago for a bunch of high school bands uh, getting together and doing a showcase at the Aladdin. And the level of musicianship that I saw out of those 15-year-olds or whatever was amazing compared to like what me and my friends were capable of at that age. And uh, and I think, you know, the humans are evolving faster and faster. And I think the youth of today are going to blow all us old farts away. That's totally <laughs> the way it's supposed to be. But, um, you know, the, the talent is out there. Uh, I just say, like, go just go play as much as possible. Like the farmer, if you can still play at Saturday Market, I don't know mm -hmm. if they're still doing stages down there. Any place that will have you set up on street corners, make your noise loud, deliver your music to Luke over at the PRP. That's right. And see if he can play it on the air <laughs> or whatever. But, you know, I think I think they're really the kids today have it so much easier just with the internet the fact that you can make in your own on your own computer at home you can make an album that is of far superior quality to anything i could have made when i was a teenager with my little four track or cassette recorder or whatever you can make it yourself have it be amazing upload it to the internet and share it with the world yeah for nothing now now you know the the downside of that is that everyone can do it and everyone is doing it so there's a lot of stuff to weed through true but you can at least get it out there and and the fact that you can get it out there means that you have the satisfaction of of seeing it come to full fruition and then just keep producing you know what i mean like if it's out there and nobody pays attention to it, write another song. Do it again. Do it again. Just keep making like we're on the – I don't know what, what there is for us all for, to be rewarded by the music business, but we are all on this planet to uh, leave our voices behind and make art. And the key is just to make tons of it. Don't be afraid to make it. Don't be afraid of what anyone thinks about it. Just make it and put it out there. It is it is important because there's a there's this thing about congruency with artists. There's a thing about just being honest and on on stage, especially with the lineup that you've got. Um, folks, get out see uh, Louis, uh, Blue City Diesel, and McDougal again Friday, March third. Unfortunately, we're at the end of the hour here. We've got uh, the recording artist Brahman coming up next. But before we let you go, Louis, any shout outs or goodbyes you'd like to say? Uh, yeah, I just I just want to say thanks to all the musicians in Portland. I think this is an incredibly warm and uh, supportive place. Thanks to all my friends. I want to say that uh, um, I've been incredibly nurtured by the community over at the Laurel Thirst Public House. My band plays there every Thursday at 6 o'clock for rock and roll uh, stuff. And uh, there's a lot of music business going on everywhere, but there's also just a lot of music love going on here yeah. in Portland, and I'm really thankful to be a part of it. There's, uh, we're, there's an embarrassment of riches. I'm uh, thankful for the MoGo Festival for inviting us on board and keeping the focus local. Um, I just implore anyone who's listening to get out there and just hear local music. If not my band, man, go see some band. Go see somebody plying their art because it's great. It's out there and it's great. Well said, my friend. We are uh, very fortunate to live in Portland and have this music community. Uh, once again, go see Louis Friday, March 3rd at Ponderosa Lounge. The West Econa presents from MoGo.